Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here also in St. Paul saith, This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hear also what St. John saith, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. I venture to guess that these words in this form have not been uttered in this chapel for well over 50 years. But if you were raised as an Anglican or an Episcopalian or came into this church before about 1970, you would recognize these sentences immediately. Universally known as the comfortable words, they were a part of every celebration of the Holy Communion for centuries beginning in the 1500s and not only in the Anglican tradition, but in other Reformed traditions as well. Placed after the confession and absolution of sin, and before the start of the great Eucharistic Thanksgiving, they set the context for all that both went before and followed. The meaning of the English word comfortable has changed over the centuries. It's not so much about being put at ease as one might be in a recliner in front of a television or enjoying the breezes of summer in a hammock under the trees. Rather, the word comfort, as its etymology suggests, has to do with strengthening and upholding. It's in this light that these words provide comfort they strengthen and uphold us in our faith. The first of these comfortable words or sentences we hear at the end of today's gospel passage. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's on these words that I'd like to reflect this morning, albeit very indirectly. Today we are in the fifth and final of our so-called contemplative days. Days of silence with a reduced worship and work schedule that we observe several times in the year. We have found them to be very popular among our friends who are searching for a radical, if temporary, change in the rhythms of daily life. I'm not certain how we ended up naming this practice contemplative days. I think it was the invention of a previous guest master who is no longer with our community. It's a catchy name and has a certain cachet. It seems everybody wants to be a contemplative now 
at least for a while. The hospitality sector has certainly enticed people on vacation packages with popular images that many associate <clears throat> with contemplation of one sort or another. Images of, say, the ultra-thin woman sitting in a yoga posture, expensively if scantily clad in a tropical setting. Or the couple sitting on a dock, staring over the waters, gazing in the middle distance, holding hands. Or the red mountains of Sedona, best enjoyed with a helpful probiotic beverage in hand. <laughs> and truthfully, even monasteries have used such visual propaganda. You know the image, the hooded monk sitting under a large tree and holding an enormous volume, preferably printed before 1500. <laughs> but it all leaves me wondering, what does it really mean to be contemplative? It may involve silence, though not necessarily. It may involve solitude, though not necessarily. It may be a way of praying, but again, not necessarily. When push comes to shove, it must somehow be a way of living, a way of being. And if it's not that, really, who cares? For me, a handful of characteristics mark contemplative living. The first is the demand to live with attention and awareness. One of the Desert Fathers said, unawareness is the root of all evil. I think he was right. And it is my own refusal to pay attention to the world and others and to engage in the challenging discipline of honest awareness about myself, my community, my relationships, my world, that keeps me from living a more fully contemplative, a more fully Christian life. I believe that a contemplative life is one lived in time and that takes time seriously. That takes time to do what is necessary and takes time to recognize what is not just unnecessary, but an evasion or a dishonesty. The best advice I ever got about contemplative living came from the late Winifred Osta, who worked in our kitchen years ago. I was rushing around, as was and is still too often my want. And Winifred would simply tell me, Robert, you're rushing too fast. I know it's not always a practical or welcome observation, nor particularly profound, but for me to act as if I had all the time in the world was a powerful antidote to my pension to try to get things done fast and well. We bless the candle at the Easter Vigil, and as we bless it, we say, to God belong all times and all seasons. 
They are only lent to us. And until we understand that, until we practice that, we will never live contemplatively. The third mark is the dynamic of work in its broadest sense. To live contemplatively is to work at something with our whole being and to lose ourselves in it, if only occasionally. It may be as simple as preparing a meal for oneself or a loved one, or as dramatic as rescuing a child or a nation in peril. Admittedly, for many people, work is drudgery, without apparent meaning or just reward. But to live contemplatively is to learn to see in our work, however menial or unproductive or limited, and in the work of others, a dignity that befits the children of God. At the entrance to our guest house is a stone with the Latin motto, Ora et Labora, pray and work, often used as a handy summary of Benedictine spirituality. Both prayer and work are very ordinary and yet very necessary. Together, they constitute a privileged path to sanctity. The fourth and final characteristic of contemplative living comes directly from today's gospel, where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The truth is, we are all yoked. That is, every one of us is connected to each other, to the creation, and to God. And we all bear burdens. And if we are fully human, we share each other's burdens. Our goal as Christians is not to be unyoked or unburdened, but to be further yoked, and at the same time, to welcome and accept the burdens that are rightfully ours, sharing them with others as they share theirs with us. Perhaps we are so weary so often because we are carrying the wrong burdens or laboring under yokes of our own creation and not those that God allots or allows for our true human flourishing. If the true contemplative knows anything, it is this, that we are all in this together. There is no other way. So attention, time, work, burden-bearing, burden-sharing. This, for me, is contemplative living. Simple, ordinary, challenging, holy, life-giving. Let the final words be those of Jesus, as channeled through Eugene Peterson's popular paraphrase, The Message. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen, or as Eugene Peterson would put it, oh yes.